Hey, welcome back to Permanent Waves, a podcast all about Rush. I'm really glad that you're back, or maybe you're here for the first time listening to our Rush podcast. Uh, I'm really, really happy with the uh, the feedback that I've gotten about our, our first couple pilot episodes and the amount of downloads I've had. Um, I want to thank Rush Lyrics on Facebook and Twitter. I, th- I talked to them on Twitter, but I think they're on Facebook as well. Uh, for giving, giving our uh, Permanent Waves podcast a shout out um, so we can get more listeners. That was really nice of them. And today we're going to talk about, you know, uh, the few episodes ago we did the top my top 15 favorite Alex Lifeson solos. And we're going to do a similar thing here with Getty's bass licks, the best Getty bass licks. Uh, I got an email to the show. You can email me at jaredjgreco at gmail.com and talk about the show. Uh, and he said, hey, I'm a bass player too. Uh, by the way, this is Dave. And he says, uh, some of his, here's my favorite part of the email. Some of my favorite uh, Rush albums are also Power Windows and Hold Your Fire. We get some love there too. But he, uh, he asked if he could join the conversation, and that's absolutely what I'm all about here. So uh, please welcome Dave Wallace. What's up, Dave? Hey, Jared. Thanks for having me, man. No problem. Really cool show. What's really cool about having Dave on is he's on the absolute opposite end of the country, and it's cool that we're already doing a coast-to-coast version (laughs) of Permanent Waves. That's right. (laughs) And you got me as the old man perspective, too, so I got a couple of years on you. (laughs) Okay. Everybody keep that in mind, please. Uh, Yeah, Dave's a bass player as well. I have way too many bass players on this podcast already, but... I'm yeah, slightly biased. <laughs> uh, so Dave said, what, can we talk about, uh, Dave said, hey, Jerry, can we talk about Getty's best bass licks? And I thought, what a great idea. Um, have you ever been listening to Rush? I, do you guys, you ever heard of the band Rush? Uh, they're pretty good. You check it out. Have you ever heard any of their stuff? You ever listen to some of their songs and you think that was nasty? That bass lick, maybe it's a couple seconds long, maybe it's, you know, the verse. When Getty plays the verse of this song, when Getty plays the intro to this song, it's just a little bit better than everything else he does, and that's what we're going to try to highlight here for you. Right. So uh, Dave and I just talked a second ago. What's going to happen is we originally agreed on our top 10 best Getty bass licks, and Dave followed directions perfectly and made 10, and I did it a second ago and came up with at least 25. So I'm going to read down mine real fast. Then Dave's going to give us his top 10 and then we'll have a little discussion about it. It'll be a blast. We're having a good time. Right on. Yeah. All right. So, uh, in definitely in no particular order for me, the best bass licks, the solo and caravan, um, during the jam portion where the whole band stops and he plays like a little chromatic scale going down the neck. Nasty, nasty. Uh, I promised I wouldn't talk about these, so I got to shut up. Headlong flight, definitely the beginning into that. The whole riff in Xanadu, La Via. I think we all know what part we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, leave that thing alone. Distant early warning. The verses of that tune are great. The enemy within has a really hard bass line to play. Time stands still. This one's a little specific. In the second chorus of Time Stands Still, have you ever noticed? It, it's very faint in the mix on that album and on that song, uh, but he plays one of the nastiest 
fills that he's I think he's ever done in his whole career. It's at two minutes and forty seconds on time standstill. You need to check that out if you don't know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Open Secrets has the whole tune has great bass stuff. I would argue the whole album. Uh Mission and Prime Mover, the beginning of Prime Mover, also from that album. Turn the page, also from Hold Your Fire. I think that's it from that album. Spirit of Radio, the beginning that he does with the drum set, uh is really tough to play. Free Will at the very beginning of the jam, before Alex comes in. Big Money, the whole tune. Marathon, the whole tune. The End of Territories. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about, but it's uh, it changes keys a few times, but it's uh, really, really catchy. The entirety of Digital Man. The Malignant Narcissism, obviously, but my favorite part of Malignant Narcissism is the yyz-esque break in the middle of the tune um if you know anything about bass he's playing the open string and then jumping every other note jumping up to the d string and playing uh riff kind of like that caravan riff uh the entirety of driven that song itself in theory is just a monster how it is from vapor trails the verses of how it is they're not technically uh uh, virtuosic, but they're it, it suits the song really well. I think I think it's a great bass part in the verses of how it is. Also from that album, Nocturne. I think it might be overdubbed. I have overdubbed with a question mark after it. I <laughs> uh, I don't know how that song was recorded. I'd bet a million dollars we'll never hear it live. But right. <laughs> it's got a nice bass part, I think. And lastly on my list, I have Freeze with an exclamation point. Uh, there's punctuation in my list, everybody. It's okay. Uh, especially the intro of Freeze. If you remember Chad, right. my buddy Chad from a couple episodes ago, Freeze is one of his favorites. And it's a such a beast of a song. Uh, and the bass part, I think, makes it. So before we talk about it, Dave, why don't you give us your list? All right. Um, well, you definitely, uh, there's definitely a few things here that we, uh, we, we definitely matched up on, mm-hmm. of course. Um, mine is they've scaled down. I just got it to to ten, and there are other ones that you listed that would have made it in my top fifteen. Oh, awesome! So, but but uh, um, I'm gonna yeah, I'll just try and get through this. Some of these are just for little parts and different reasons. We'll go through that in a little bit. So uh, number ten for me is Prime Mover. Uh, that little solo hook that he does uh, after the first verse, and then as later as the outro of the song. Is really fun to play, and it's something that made me attracted to Rush mm-hmm. a while ago. So, hey, give me one um, sec. You uh, go back. Uh, actually, go for number nine. I'm going to go grab a pencil. You won't hear me for a minute. Wait, wait say that again. <laughs> go ahead and keep com- keep going with your list. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, number nine. Uh, I said show don't tell. Um, the verses, everything, and it's fun to play. But then, of course, you know it has that cool little. Uh, bass solo so again one of those things that originally drew me into Rush alright I had to go grab a pen but I'm back so tell me again what your number 9 is <laughs> number 9 I, I put show don't tell oh, um, sweet. obviously bass solo and of course you know moving all over the place even during during the verses and everything so uh-huh. um, number 8 is the trees um, there's that little uh, descending scaling that he does that uh, he does it in the acoustic part, and he does it later on with even further and more aggressive, and it's it's uh, definitely fun to play. It's really cool. Um, 
leave that thing alone. I agree with you on that one. Definitely. It's of course. Nice, he carries the melody. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, turn the page, analog kid and headlong flight are my next three. And there's a very specific reason for those, but I mean, it, he is just, especially Headlong Flight, he is killing it on that. I don't know how he can sing with that totally different scaling that he's playing. But uh, Number three, I put Marathon. Um, great all through the song. And not only that, but the fact that he changes the two verses. And, yes. and it still carries <laughs> it is great. Yes. Um, number two, Free Will. I mean that that jam in the middle was is what, one of the first things that I thought. Oh my god, these guys are amazing. Yep. And then um, I had to give credit where it's due, and probably the most classic instrumental ever in the history of music, besides Led Zeppelin's Moby Dick, would have to you know at least that would have to be uh, YYZ. <laughs> you know, and that's probably just just spawned generations of bass players and drummers in that one song. So yes. and even people who don't even like Rush will will I know drummers who will sit there and play the beginning of it on their ride cymbal. Yeah. You know, so So that's my that's my basic run through. It's interesting. I for in my quest to give the rarer rush material more love, I often completely overlook the, the really common ones. So yeah. I didn't even consider YYZ, not because I don't think it deserves a spot, but just because when I'm looking through the list of songs for every album, I literally forgot it existed. <laughs> you know, like. Well, and, and you know, I, thought, I think when I was telling you earlier before we actually got on the air was that I, I, I'm not sure if I can necessarily say it's my favorite Getty Lee bass line, but it has done so much right. as an instrumental and you know it inspired so many people it's kind of hard to not for me to say well i, I got to make it number 1 right let me derail for just a second dave and ask you i know you said you listened to the other episodes on we did a ranking of my favorite instrumentals and as well as another guests uh i had uh main monkey business as my number 1 what do you think about that tune um that that one's you know the the thing with these is there's no such thing as a wrong answer if you're a rush fan yeah. <laughs> um but that being said for me, I think that one of the probably one of the big differences is from what I have heard from your podcast, and you and I are just talking for the first time, so we're still getting to know each other right but from what I heard from your first podcast was you kind of came into rush with snakes and arrows, right yes, around that era see, and I was you know quite a ways back and this is not to sound like an insult or anything, but for me, Snakes and Arrows isn't isn't one of their better albums. Okay, it's yep. not bad. You know, just for me, only because of what I kind of came into them with, and then right. you know, just I'm sure like you, I came in at a certain point, moved backwards, and then came forward with them. Yeah, and I, think, uh, I, think, I, I go ahead. I do like Snakes and Arrows. I listen to it uh, at work every day with it mixed in with all my other. Rush albums, but I mean, as far as like, if I had a top ten Rush albums, it mm-hmm. wouldn't be in there for me. Interesting. I- initially, that sounds like an insult, but that there's twenty albums, <laughs> an insult to the uh, in- an insult to Snakes and Arrows, not to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, I've also I've often thought that whatever album you first heard has a little bit more of a bump in those rankings. So for me, yeah, absolutely. You know, I came in and they were. It was R thirty had just come out when I was getting into Rush. So Vapor Trails was right. aging, and uh, it was a getting ready for 
you know, the time was right for a new Rush album. And yeah. uh, so Snakes and Arrows comes out, and naturally I think I like it more because it was the first new one I got to hear. Which uh, totally makes sense because, like, for me, the first when I first got into them, um, I didn't get into them until I started playing bass. Before then, I didn't like them because of, you know, I was a, I was a typical, oh, I don't like his voice, but I were kind of... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, well, that was then, you know. Yep. They're, they're kind of an acquired taste, I think. It, yes. You know, but when I got into them was um, Show of Hands. Um, and I think at the time... Which well, would explain which would explain the reason <laughs> maybe why you uh you like power windows and hold your fire. Exactly, yeah. So and like I said, from there I moved backwards and I played in um I played in a band that, you know, we did a bunch of rush covers, so naturally, you know, we played, you know, everything from moving pictures and stuff like that too. So So let me ask you this. Uh, I'm fascinated by rush cover bands. I'm fascinated. Uh, mostly with what songs you choose. What was the weirdest, rarest song that your band did? Um, we actually played Territories. Wow. Uh, and, get... Yeah, that was one. And it was kind of cool because we would, you know, we would play, uh, I mean, we played a bunch of covers. We weren't just a, a Rush cover band, but we all loved Rush enough that at least during practice we would play a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But we would go play like some, you know, frat party and they just want to hear, you know, all the classic radio stuff of any band. And then we put the territories and they're like, oh, is that one of your originals? I'm like, oh, I wish it was. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear somebody ask me that. Did you write that? That's very cool. So, yeah, and that was definitely, even though it didn't, I didn't put that on my my list. And I actually thought about it. It probably would have been 11. But I love the baseline and territories. Yes. Just the way that moves is so cool. I have a, a little side list here, Dave of um when I made my original humongo list uh I decided to exclude the ones that uh Alex plays with him so um I've tried to keep my list as bass licks instead of rush licks so if I had a right. and you so you have a bunch here that I have on the secondary list um like show don't tell definitely analog kid um, it looks like that's it. But also, Red Barchetta has great. You know, Alex plays with him. But yeah, yeah, great riffs. Uh, the that's another one we used to play. Yeah, Red Barchetta. Oh, of course, you have to. Uh, Circumstances has killer Rush licks. Uh, the, Absolutely. The th- third, third of Natural Science, which I think is called Permanent Waves. I'm not positive on that. They they've it labeled. You know how there's three parts to natural science? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's names for them, but I'm not familiar. Uh, and also Far Cry and two from Test for Echo, Virtuality and Time and Motion have really cool uh, oh, right riffs on. in them. I'm pretty sure any of the ones that I listed as... Um, any any song that I listed that had parts where they were both playing the same thing, that wasn't the part that I intended. Oh, yeah? Um and and one of the best examples I can give you is, um, well, this, there's three songs that I, I kind of lumped them together uh, as my number six, five, and four. It was Turn the Page, Analog Kid, and Headlong Flight. And <laughs> what I love about those songs, and anybody who, you can really only understand this if you do two things at once. If you play bass and sing, then you can really understand how difficult this is because... Yep. I, I call it the trilogy of man with two brains because I swear you had to have two brains to, to do this. <laughs> he sings a rhythm and melody, especially in the verses of these songs. 
and the bass line is ripping while he's singing a very mellow and calm uh, melody himself. And so, like, Analog Kid, like, even though, like, the whole uh, bass and guitar thing is really cool, but if you really listen to the, the verse while he's singing, the way the bass is moving is, is nuts. And Headlong Flight is insane yes. how he does that. <laughs> So, and turn the page too. I mean, of course, turn the page. You've got a, you've got you know the cool little bass intro, but you know just what he's doing during the verses is is sick. What he does during the verses on turn the page reminds me a lot of the bass line in Big Money. Yeah, yeah, and Big Money is definitely one of those songs. Also, yep. you know, it's just actually the whole Power Windows album. A lot of people like don't understand. Like, I, I think it's the probably guitar players who get you know missed about it the most, but. A lot of old Rush fans don't get how amazing the playing is yeah. on Power Windows and Hold Your Fire and the bass especially. Mm-hmm. He does, Power Windows bass lines are amazing. In my opinion, that's uh, the only album where they're all firing on all cylinders. And that, does, that doesn't mean that you know moving pictures is bad bass lines or, bad, or whatever. It, in my opinion, I think they've never played better at the same time than that album. Every song. Well, I is think. Amazing. I mean, the only person that might agree with you is Alex Lyson, though, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, I mean, really, like, I can understand from his standpoint, like, you know, really, keyboards did kind of bury him quite a bit. But he, you know, it, I also think that it was an era that it forced him to be creative in new ways. Yes, he on guitar. You know, I'm gonna get sappy, but in uh, my opinion, he revolutionized the way he reinvented the way guitarists have to work. He pushed. Yeah. The uh, the role of the electric guitarist in rock music forward, he said. In this you know this decade of synth synthesizers covering up what we normally do, we have to. He was forced to find a different role, and he did it. What are some other times we've seen that from Alex? Uh, Vapor Trails, right? Yeah, yeah. Getty's yeah. playing chords. Alex is forced to do something different. Well, not forced, but he chose to because he's a smart guy. Um, right. And you know he's not as present on Power Windows and Hold Your Fire but I, I think we both agree he's doing some really innovative stuff. Yeah, it is. And, it, you know, a lot of it has to do with the... Um, back then, there was this kind of a, a thinner production. I think if you took... I mean, I like it because, I, you know, I, I got used to hearing that and kind of fell into it then. But I think if you took, um, you know, the same producer from counterparts to go in and take power windows and muscle up the guitar a little bit and just kind of beef things up, I think it would, people would hear more, you know, because his guitar parts were almost kind of distant, which is what yeah. was cool about it. But, you know, for a lot of people who grew up on 2112, you know, they're going to feel like power windows has no muscle to it. Yes. You know? But then again, now, I mean, I got to say, even though like Snakes and Arrows, like I said, that wasn't really one of my favorite albums but the last one clockwork angels is amazing to me (laughs) and i love the really heavy guitars i feel like they brought back these classic rock riffs but then you know they still haven't lost the sensibility of the songwriting that they had in the late 80s and early 90s you got i couldn't have said it better um so what was i just gonna say uh you talked about bringing producers from counterparts which sounded Good sonically was a, a good album, uh, yeah. and bringing him and somebody in and changing the way some of those older albums sound. Um, I have a few thoughts on that. Wouldn't it be cool if 
they did to other albums what they did to Vapor Trails. So they quote unquote remastered Vapor Trails, and it's yeah. it's a lot different than a remaster, I think, because they've remastered almost every album now. I think they don't sound drastically different. They sound better in sound quality. Vapor Trails was the just absolutely flipped around in some areas, and that's a yeah, right. that's a topic for a different podcast. And I plan on doing that podcast. Trust me. But I think it'd be cool. What if you know the guy who did that Vapor Trails deal took Presto and, and you know was like, hey, how about we make this one sound not horrible? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that would be cool, you know, and I think, uh, you know, any restaurant... You know, here's another thing, um, you know, something that could be dangerous to do, but, uh, you know, nowadays bands like uh, Nine Inch Nails and some other bands have done something where they put the raw tracks out there for the diehard fans and say, you mix this, (laughs) you know, and and that might be a kind of a cool experiment to see, uh, you know, I mean, granted, you just get inundated with people thinking that they're great producers and oh whatnot, yeah but. youtube would be littered <laughs> uh so also, yeah i mean it, it would be cool to see you know just uh you know like i said I, I still love those albums but to hear what somebody with the, maybe a little more of a modern ear would would do with it because they do sound like that time yes and the nice you know that's how albums work you know presto represents 1989 or whenever it came out that and right. what they were you know what the music industry was doing in the studio. Um, however, that's what I love about a live show is that you're getting Alex Lifeson's tone right now. You know, maybe he exactly. changes it to sound like that Presto sound, but he's still running the same amplifiers behind him. Uh, so, and the same guitars for the most part. Uh, yeah. That's why I like hearing... With, with, even with the bass. Yes. You know, like the the live stuff, like even like, uh, you know, I said like Free Will was one of my tops, but not only is that center part so cool, but I mean, live... Getty tends to just kind of go off a little bit on that, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's definitely cool to hear, you know. Um, it's so cool, like, you know, we heard Presto on Time Machine, and it sound, it was a beast of a song. Often, yeah. especially when I was, wasn't was up to speed on every Rush song or every Rush album, I was kind of hesitant at first. On Like, Presto was at the bottom of my list. At, it was 20th for a long time, and now it's crawled up so high it's not even funny. But right. when I heard Presto live, I was like, I never thought they would play that song. I never thought they would play that live. And they played it live, right. and they killed it. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's an awesome song. Uh, and and I, I would I would love to hear him keep pulling out some, you know, unusual yes. ones like that. And, you know, I would love to hear Superconductor live, personally. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they did all of Moving Pictures on Time Machine. We all know that. I want to hear an album... Now, Jared, hey, Jared, uh, would you rather hear a re-recorded version of, you know, Signals or a new material? I'm taking the new material every single time. But right. if you ask me, do you want to hear another tour? Or let's say, uh, do you want another live album? Or do you want a studio album of Signals re-recorded as their 60-year-old selves right now? I want to hear that. <laughs> I want to hear yeah, what, yeah. you know, play those songs from Signals or whatever album, an old album as yourselves right now with your new equipment and your better technology and your aging voice and your, your better guitars and whatever. I think that would be so cool to hear. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I agree. So that would be, yeah. And I mean, there, there's probably several of their old albums that, you know, would be definitely cool. Like that. Although I got to say, maybe not so much. Well, I, I still love that album, but one, uh, one song that didn't make my list of, 
great baselines was red sector A, so I'm not really worried about like Grace under pressure being reached. <laughs> right. <laughs> as long as he doesn't touch a Steinberger base, then I'm happy. Man, I hated <laughs> right. that. And that's my next question for you, Dave. Um, I'll try to like round out the the uh, podcast, and then I could say I kept it relevant uh, for the, our best bass licks. What is your favorite right. bass tone? In what era, what year was Getty's tone your the best for you? Well, I mean, I I really love that is this that's kind of tricky. Um, honestly, okay, I'd say the best bass tone uh, is probably Counterparts. Oh, very cool! It's just, All right, it's just really warm. It's it's a solid. You know, he can play anything. And he still has kind of a similar tone to that. But, you know, it's it, it kind of brought it, it wasn't so thin, you know, it really mm-hmm. warmed up to the bottom end of it. So I know that uh, he started using Ampeg amps, I think. It was a, it was an older style of amplifier and counterparts uh, under yeah, recommendation he from... the Fender back out. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, and the Fender. And uh, that was under yeah. recommendation from the producer. I think even more than the equipment change from Roll the Bones to counterparts, the difference in sound comes from the way he changed his playing. His right hand technique yeah, is yeah. so different on counterparts, and he's still yeah, that's the difference. that's the technique he's been using since counterparts. You know, well, you know, I mean, like you can even tell the difference. Like you know, when we're talking about the you know instrumentals, the, the huge difference uh, noticed when you take out vocals and you hear "Where's My Thing" versus "Leave That Thing Alone." You know, yeah, leave not, that thing alone not even close. So much cooler. Yeah, uh, I think "Leave That Thing Alone" live is just deadly it with the tone that he's got now uh my, my favorite tone of all time is from uh vapor trails to snakes and arrows now he's using uh-huh. a certain kind of distortion on his through a signal that his signal goes through excuse me uh for time machine and now clockwork angels he started using orange amplifiers orange, yeah. orange is a brand name for people who don't know of amplifiers so I don't. Can you hear a difference in a sound? Because I do, and I, I still enjoy it. I don't think it's quite as good for me as Snakes and Arrows Vapor Trails. Well, uh, yeah, I would say like uh, I, I, I mean, the overall sound on uh, Clockwork, you know, of the whole band is just it's really muscly, and so you know, I think I think that may make a difference on the bass. You can hear some of that um, that slight distortion. On uh, a couple of songs, but I think uh, I think he almost had to find a little bit uh, lower range or maybe wider range in in order to work with the heavier guitar tones, mm-hmm. uh, and that may be a difference. But uh, yeah, it's not a it's maybe not as crisp. It doesn't have a, as much crispness to it now. Right. So it's still, it, but it matches what they're doing, and it's definitely. It's definitely a badass tone what he's using right now. It's just, but yeah, it maybe could use a little bit more uh, mids to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I don't hate it. I just, it's, it's just a little bit different. And I think yeah, maybe definitely. you're right. Definitely. It goes with clock the sound that they had on Clockwork. Uh, before I let you go, Dave, uh, I want to know what you think the set will look like for the new tour. Yeah, I don't. I haven't heard like they're. I'm. I'm just, I don't think they're putting out a new album yet, are they? Not that I've heard. I haven't heard anything about that either. So I mean, it's just kind of an if it's an anniversary tour. I assume it's going to be similar to R30, as in, you know, they're going to bring out a lot of 
stuff that was popular and a lot of hit stuff. I don't, it's kind of hard to say, like, you know, I, I heard your podcast of your, your dream list. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is probably, you know, it's, it's difference between personal favorites and them. I don't, I wonder, I don't know how they sit around and pick, you know, I, I know that they do that. I know that they have a list of stuff that they say, this is what we want to play or what we have to play versus here's some things we'd like to play. And then, you know, obviously the older stuff is probably what Getty's going to stay away from from his voice. So <laughs> maybe we could hear something more. Maybe we could hear uh, Marathon again or, you know, some, some more power windows stuff would be cool. I think, I mean, out of the last two tours, all we're missing is uh, Emotion Detector and Mystic Rhythms. And we got Mystic Rhythms on R30, I think. You're right. I have to go through my stuff. I haven't looked through all my uh, DVDs and stuff here again. But cool. But yeah, and I mean, you know, obviously the last tour was so big, and it, but they had room for more. I mean, again, this is a credit to uh, Clockwork Angels, but I mean, obviously they know how many bands put out a brand new album and then play almost that entire album in the show. You know. Yeah, that's so insane. That was a good album. If so, you, I mean, I would assume the next tour, they should be cutting out, you know, most of that and only doing a few songs off of the newer album. So that should give them more time for, you know, some classics and some rarities. And Right. They're not touring in promotion of anything. <clears throat> cool. It should well, be interesting, man. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I really appreciate the email and let me know what you think of what you're listening to. Hey, man, I would... Uh, Come on anytime. You let me know. Cause, uh, I, I talk about Rush all day, man. Excellent. Well, that's what I do. And sometimes well, I just and record keep it. Up the good work, but keep up the good work. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. No problem. Um, and thank you all for listening to Permanent Waves, your favorite Rush podcast, only because there aren't any other Rush podcasts. And <laughs> uh, please spread the word if uh, if you like what you hear and you want other people to know about it. Please. Uh, post and read, tweet, share, and anything else that you might do on the internet. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Jared Greco, and we also have a Permanent Waves Twitter. You can search Permanent Waves and you'll find it. And I want to thank the Knickerbocker Network for hosting. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you real soon. <laughs>